very nice to see you all. So this is the third of the thematic seminars we've been running about our kind of defining challenges that are there in the IDS strategy, which the board signed off on last week. So that's now moving moving ahead, and we'll be we'll be sort of launching it in the autumn. Um, and the three papers that have kind of underpinned the focus on reducing inequalities, accelerating sustainability, building inclusive and secure societies are now in the production process. I think they're all in the production process now to, to, to be published as, um, as working papers and then for other things to happen to them. So in a way, this isn't an opportunity for final inputs to those papers because they're done and, done and dusted but um, is a chance to talk about and discuss both some of the content of what um, Hubert and Ian, who led on this paper on accelerating sustainability, have put together, um, and to think a bit about how the themes and issues relate to the work that's going on in various clusters within the Institute, but also on the wider campus, because I think, as will become clear, this perhaps more than any of our defining challenges at the moment, is one that actually is about IDS and Sussex, and there are a lot of collaborations in this area through the Steps Centre and through others. So anyway, um, Hubert, I gather you're presenting on behalf of Ian and yourself. I'm sure Ian will join in in responding to questions. So over to you. Good. Uh, thank you, Melissa. And uh, thank you for entrusting us with this job. Uh, when I was first asked whether I wanted to be a co-author of this paper, I said immediately yes, because it seemed just a wonderful opportunity you know, to get on top of the literature and doing this jointly with Ian, who has a lot more experience in this, was just you know, a, a great opportunity, it seemed. And then an opportunity to help shape the IDS agenda. But having agreed to, to do it straight away, I was a bit annoyed with myself. I thought, what am I doing? And, you know, I broke my own rule of first reflecting for 24 hours on an invitation before agreeing to anything. <laughs> and a sober assessment would have led me to the following. You know, here are two people who have a full agenda and have been asked to do a big job. Here are two people um, who come from very different backgrounds and have strong opinions. Here are two people, you know, one of them is me, the newcomer. A uh, relative newcomer who encroaches on the territory of a veteran in sustainability studies, Ian Schoons, the director of the Step Center. So all the, the whole scenario and configuration was one that would um, indicate a high probability of, of a painful experience. <laughs> so was it? Um, well, you'll be pleased to know there was no bloodshed. <coughs> And Ian and I, we are still talking to each other. And in fact, uh, it was uh, an excellent experience. And partly because, or largely because we were able to agree on how to structure the beast and on, to agree on the big points fairly early on. There were a few frictions about, you know, how to formulate certain things, Ian being annoyed with how I put certain things and vice versa. The biggest problem, in fact, was one of timing. Because whenever he was working on this, I was away, and when he was revising, I was on holiday. So this was uh, a problem, but ultimately it did not get uh, the better of us. We get on with the job, a division of labor emerged, and uh, as part of this division of labor is the deal that I present today. So that's what I'll try to do now. And um, 
I'm not sure I can do justice to the paper, but let me take you uh, through the key points. Uh, starting with, uh, first things first, what is sustainability? Uh, the original definition of the Brundtland Commission of 1987 is unsurpassed. Sustainability is development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Brilliant, clear. If you prefer, um, I do, uh, a snappier decision that is also meaningful, living well within the boundaries of our planet. And notice that you can read this in two ways. You can emphasize the living well, or you can emphasize well within the boundaries. So um, also um, um, uh, has some uh, different ways of nuances. And why accelerate? And accelerate is in there because it recognizes that an enormous amounts of work has been done on the ground in pursuing policies, implementing programs and projects in uh, the field of, of, of green development towards uh, the objective of sustainability. But, uh, and a good deal of research has been done on this. On this. But uh, the agreement is uh, that it's too slow and too little. And uh, this comes from uh, the issue of urgencies, from the notion that the delays are costly, that there are irreversible consequences. And uh, this is, of course, a message that comes in particular from uh, climate and earth science uh, and uh, uh, has been largely accepted in uh, most parts of the social <coughs> sciences as well. So, so much for uh, the title and explaining it. Our brief was uh, initially mainly one of reviewing the literature. But as we discussed this amongst ourselves and presented this to the board, you know, the issue of position, positioning IDS in the debate also emerged, particularly the Board of Trustees urged us to say, look, you know, here you are operating in a very competitive field with big other institutes, with larger staff working on this. What is uh, uh, your own position? Do you have anything distinctive? Do you have any advantages, uh, competitive advantages, if you wish, for operating in this field? And um, this is dealt with in the course of the paper. And uh, I would uh, give you here uh, a selection of a few points. Um, it starts with our starting point, Sustain presenting sustainability as a problem of success. This is not often done. And what's the success? The uh, uh, enormous reduction in poverty, an increase in material living standards in large parts of the world. Uh, this is what the first 50 years of IDS, in a way, was about. And um, uh, that needs to be recognized that uh, the sustainability problems that we have now, questioning uh, uh, the feasibility of human life on our planet, is a result of, uh, this, uh, of this success. And we argue in the paper that the development era of the past 50 years of IDS uh, should give way to a sustainability era of the next 50 years of IDS. So trying to feed this into the 50th anniversary cons conference, which we, which we have next year. 
So, um, and this might cause, you know, uh, raise a few eyebrows, um, you know, sustainability area, what era, what about sustainability, what about inequality? Um, but don't worry, uh, we'll, come, we'll, come to, we'll come to that uh, uh, later on. Um, other things that uh, help us in, the, in this field is uh, what I put here, capacity combined disciplines and methods. The success of IDS in this field was from its beginning to do with our capacity to combine disciplines and methods. And of course in the sustainability era, this uh, um, uh, combination of disciplines and methods is an even bigger challenge. Because not only do we have to, as in the past, have to you know, see how economics, politics, sociology, social anthropology can help each other, but we have to deal with earth and climate science coming from uh, 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 very different uh, uh, parts of the scientific establishments, working with different timescales, uh, different concepts. So the challenge of... Uh, uh, of, of, of bringing these together is one that we are probably uh, well equipped, perhaps better equipped than uh, many other uh, institutions working in this field. <coughs> Common questions, context specific answers. What am I referring to here? Um, as you know, we have agreed amongst ourselves on a universal framing of development. And uh, this is very important, particularly in this field. Um, we were pushed uh, by a number of voices when we started with this paper that, you know, uh, well, look, you're at IDS, you're developing country focused, etc. Uh, that part of the world is primarily about climate change adaptation. The rich countries is more about mitigation. Well, we reject these divisions uh, and we uh, reject uh, uh, these. Um, old uh, categorizations of the world and um, the notion suggested to you that the questions are common but the answers are context specific. And finally, um, um, the priority can be uh, formulated uh, uh, quite simply as follows. We know what the problems are and where we need to get to. We know a lot less about how to get there Therefore, we focus on the journey, on the transformations needed to uh, um, achieve sustainability as the thrust, as the focus of our work. Some features that uh, uh, characterize our ways forward, and we've made a start with this in this book, The Politics of Green Transformations, which was led by the STEP Center with contributions from uh, many other people, in fact, here in this room. Coming to the paper, um, what we've done is uh, um, give a brief overview um, following the specification of objectives, etc. Uh, we have two sections which do the groundwork. What is it that development studies provides uh, for uh, understanding the what we call the sustainability era and what are the perspectives from sustainability studies that uh, uh, are the most useful ones to draw upon for the future? And these two sections are a tour de force, and, and, and I'm not going to try to take you through these. 
Uh, what I would like to focus on is the three questions uh, that you see here in red that I think are more likely to take us to where we want to get to, namely, where is the frontier in, in this field? And I will start with uh, this one here. Is purposeful acceleration towards sustainability possible? And this is a bit of an uncomfortable question. I mean, here we have, here we are, IDS, we've put accelerating sustainability, you know, as uh, suggested that this is one of our central themes, and we are questioning whether it is, you know, even possible. Uh, I had a message yesterday, or some of us had a message yesterday from a colleague at Spru, who said, I can answer this question, yes, it is possible. <laughs> and she was referring to the energy transition in Germany she was referring to a particular bit of the overall sustainability issues. And indeed, in Germany, in Denmark, in, in China, and some other countries, uh, government with you know, various political forces have been able to, in fact, increase uh, uh, the share of renewables in the, in the, energy, in the energy mix quite drastically. Huh? So a major contribution towards, deep, towards decarbonization. But our colleagues in the, in, the global, in the sustainability network remind us that we need to think about deep decarbonization. It's not just you know, cleaning up the energy system. It's also about energy efficiency. It's also about the end use. You know, for example, moving from, fossil, from, from petrol or diesel-driven vehicles to uh, um, uh, electric vehicles. The moment you deal with the transport system, you don't just deal with cars. You deal with the whole infrastructure, and uh, so uh, it's more complicated. Here on this uh, campus, SPRU and IDS, we look at the nexus between energy, food, and water. Uh, and we emphasize the, inter the, the, uh, the connections and the interdependence between these. And what this all leads us I mean, those who have a more comprehensive view of the sustainability issue is a notion of, it, it coincides with what uh, um, a sort of a new field of so-called transformation studies has crystallized in the following definition. Transformation results from the concurrence of multiple changes which proceed at different speeds. Transformation results from the concurrence of multiple changes which proceed at different speeds. Um, it's quite helpful, actually, to, to put it that way. But the moment you do and recognize this complexity, is purposeful acceleration possible uh, in, 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 in this scenario? Um, the literature, in fact, uh, gives no clear answers on this. It tends to sidestep this issue. The very authors who embrace this complexity, actually, when it comes to the issue of you know, what we call acceleration, or purposeful acceleration, uh, 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 rarely tackle it. What we have is, to give an example, uh, uh, some of our colleagues at, at SPRU find it very useful to categorize these various changes that I've talked about in terms of three levels, the so-called multi-level perspective. You know, there's a niche perspective, if you wish, the micro, micro as uh, uh, 
colleagues from Sru, please forgive me. I call it micro, meso, macro, just for a moment uh, uh, to, to keep it brief. Uh, the overall message is that transformations or transitions, as they call it, only occur if the chain, if, if um, micro, meso, and macro, you know, connect. And it's a categorization which um, I find very useful, has been very successful in reviewing historical experience, but doesn't in fact tell us much about you know, purposefully accelerating the process and moving it forward. Um, there is other interesting work on you know, transition management and on niche management uh, that is that begins to grapple with this, but ultimately fails and recognizes that the reason for the failure is that political economy issues were not sufficiently dealt with to really come to grips with this acceleration problem. So, um, this is a bit of a crude generalization, but uh, I do not wish to take you uh, uh, through some uh, rich literature in further detail. The main issue is that uh, it's very hard to reach a clear conclusion on the subject. So we asked ourselves in this paper, what about experiences where purposeful transformation has occurred? Don't we have any? And of course we do. The ones that come uh, uh, most clearly to mind are the experiences of uh, Vietnam and China. Uh, it was not a transformation in the green direction, but it, these were in a, uh, transformations of their economies and societies which are historically unprecedented. And they were purposefully accelerated. Great speed, enormous depth. What can we learn from these experiences? Well, contrary to you know, common cliches, this is not a case of either the Communist Party in these countries or a central government sort of you know, bulldozing the way forward. Uh, it was a case of uh, uh, party and uh, central government providing a political frame within which a lot of experimentation occurred. Uh, a frame in which it was possible to simply think about getting to the next stage. A lot of emphasis on transitional arrangements, transitional institutions to take you to the next, you know, to the next stage. At the next stage, then new uh, actor, new problem configurations, new actor configurations emerging from those you move forward. So um, these are insights which I think are very helpful. They're all about you know how from these countries what we can learn is is that uh, purposeful purposeful acceleration is, is, is to do with structuring the uncertainty, structuring the uncertainty and uh, allowing uh, the process uh, to unfold, a process in which multiple pathways uh, are not only possible but encouraged. And the question then arises, who actually determines of and drives uh, the progress along these pathways. And uh, this is 
the question, uh, the second research question, overall question, uh, that we uh, address in this paper. Um, in the literature, and I'm pleased to say it's largely literature coming from this campus, uh, tells us that we need to take four critical steps. The first one is that no single actor can you know, do this, can drive this, this process forward. Secondly, within the public sector, within the private sector, within the civic sector, there are forces that work against and forces that work in favor of the transformations we want to see. Thirdly, uh, we then need to think about you know, connections, alliances between actors across these sectors, public, uh, private, and, and, and civic. And fourthly, finally, these actors are, can join these alliances not necessarily uh, just because they're interested in sustainability. They may have other concerns that you know, lead them to uh, join these, 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 these coalitions. And uh, this has uh, um, been quite useful in our own research. The proposition uh, comes uh, very much from uh, uh, work that uh, we've done with, with Peter Newell. And in the course of the Accountable Grant, we were then able to look at some of these things for the rising power countries, China, India, South Africa, and Brazil, and see whether uh, we can uh, throw new light on this question of who drives the transformations and holds, or holds them back. And... Um, it's always, the, the easiest cases are those in which the biggest changes happened. And uh, so I will just take you through the case of China. And you will have heard some of this uh, from me before in, 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 in other contexts. Uh, China is both, both uh, the world leader in polluting the planet and in, you know, uh, and uh, making uh, problems difficult for the rest of the world but also is the no, number one investor in, 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 when, in many of the fields that are central to achieving sustainability. For example, for five years, China has been the number one investor globally in renewable energy technologies. So the question then is, who is behind this? What are the forces, political, economic forces, that made this possible? Because we are talking about huge sums, enormous orders of magnitude. And behind this, is not what uh, uh, one would have, might have thought is, you know, particularly the green lobbies uh, within government or civil society. What was behind this were other actors with other concerns, uh, particularly actors concerned with building new green sectors uh, in China, internationally competitive sectors in, in, in wind uh, um, energy, in solar energy, in a number of other sectors. And so this was about you know, enhancing competitiveness. It was very much a concern with industrial policy uh, um, um, rather than um, um, environmental policy. Another, um, um, other actors uh, uh, were more concerned with securing energy for the nation. Um, and energy security was a major reason for these advances uh, that were made towards, uh, towards uh, greater uh, sustainability. And it's only more recently that um, the concerns with pollution, uh, uh, 
urban population in China is suffocating, literally. Huh? And this, of course, has also contributed uh, to uh, uh, the movement towards uh, a greater investment in uh, a new green uh, uh, technology, a new green enterprise. So uh, the environmental concern has come in more recently, whereas initially there were actors with other concerns that were pushing in that direction. And we find similar things, uh, or we found similar things in the case of, of India. Uh, we chose to work with uh, 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 one of the leading um, um, researchers uh, in, in the sustainability field, Ambush Sagar, and he said very quickly, you know, forget it, all the, where we have made progress, and there are not many instances where we have progress, but where we have, it is not about, you know, climate change consideration. There are other factors that played a role, and energy security is probably uh, uh, the, most, the most important. Um, so, um, <coughs> what uh, do we do with these findings? Um, I think it's important to recognize um, that um, we have a situation where, um, well, we call it coalitions, we call it alliances, where um, uh, that's the notion that has been, ah yes, the bundling of actors. The bundling of actors, I like this very much. The bundling of actors and policies was behind progress where it was made. Uh, this is very much a contribution by Tom Harrison, uh, who hope, we still hope uh, will, will, will join us. Very much along the lines of our thinking on, uh, on uh, alliances and, and, and coalitions. And, um, these alliances are, I think, best seen as vehicles for bundling diverse interests. And I think this is, in fact, a liberating step to take, to recognize this. Progress is not tied to just those forces in government, businesses, civil society that are driven forward, that embrace the green agenda. There are other factors that we can and uh, 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 that have a big influence and can drive the process forward. The same kind of alliance and coalition thinking needs, of course, to be applied also to the other question of who holds back the transformation. Again, we have this across uh, uh, different categories of uh, <coughs> the public, private, and civic sector. So, Focusing on alliance, uh, uh, we would suggest, is, understand, is essential for understanding advances and setbacks in transformations. And I think it is also essential for identifying a certain position in the field, uh, both towards the left and towards the right. Um, to give you an example, uh, uh, most of you will know about Naomi Klein's work uh, on climate change. and. Uh, we actually share uh, much of her analysis. Uh, we share uh, uh, her concern with urgency. We share her uh, concern with purposeful action, with political experimentation, with transformative movements and their enormous importance. The problem is, uh, and we share her view that 
the interests of the corporate sector have in many cases hold back the progress. Where we depart is to uh, actually look at the, to treat the whole corporate sector as the enemy, so to speak. This is not helpful. Um, you know, uh, we discussed this at, at length with our ex-colleagues Robin Murray, uh, some of you may know uh, from the past. And, you know, he, his was, you know, I will never forget his outburst, you know. He said, you have to split, split, and split the private sector and in, in, in order to get sec to move forward in this field. And he was talking as a practitioner because, you know, he's worked for many years, he's retired now, but he's worked for many years as a practitioner. And I think this splitting of the corporate sector is also what we need to do in... Uh, in, 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 in our research. And uh, Stephen Spratt, uh, uh, in particular, uh, from our cluster, he is extending uh, uh, this thinking also to uh, you know, the city, and he keeps saying that there are substantial pockets in the city that actually you know, are desperate to invest in green ventures, and there is enormous potential. Uh, so I think this is something we can make a cornerstone of our position in this field. It, um, it uh, gives us, um, it gives us, I think, more hope, uh, uh, and is analytically, uh, I think, uh, quite robust. Of course, uh, there's a lot more work to be done. Um, we still need to do work on the question of where these alliances were, in fact consciously pursued, resulting from joint actions, or whether they were just incidental alignments of interest. <coughs> yeah? That needs to be done. Uh, we need to do, uh, we need to compare, and uh, uh, I'll come back to this later on, the whole question of comparative political economy, which is high on, on our agenda. Um, right, let me see. I'm coming to the third question that we address in the paper, can sustainability and equality reinforce each other under what condition? We really struggled with this one. We really struggled with this one. And, and you know, this might surprise some because if you uh, uh, review what uh, international development agencies talk about and uh, what reports they publish, you, uh, you see so many examples of green and inclusive, sustainable and inclusive in the titles. Um, <clears throat> a good example is the World Bank 2012 report entitled, and I quote, Inclusive Green Growth, The Path of, to Sustainable Development. Now many other reports of that kind bringing the two together as though this is the easiest thing in the world to put them together. Now, uh, Stephen Spratt, he has suggested, if we want to understand whether the two actually can go together and reinforce each other or in conflict with each other, we need to unpack both the environmental dimension, the green dimension, and the social dimension, the red dimension. And <coughs> he... Um, um, always keen to you know, make our work accessible to the general public. He talks about dark green and light green, and dark red and, and light red, and has, you know, came up with a, with a matrix 
of you know where uh, you know and, and looking at the various configurations. Uh, this is very much framing the problem in terms of multiple decision making, and it is a useful matrix, but you will be hard pushed to find studies that actually then that you can put into these various boxes. So in terms of you know, our objectives of our literature review, it did not take us that much forward, even though we recognize that there is uh, uh, something useful in there. The paper uh, pursues another line and frames this whole thing in terms of political dynamics, political processes. And you know, do they reinforce each other or, or, or compete with each other? And uh, it, it's, it's been a struggle, and you will probably notice this in my, in, in, in my presentation. Um, democracy is uh, sometimes presented as a breaker on sustainability. The imperatives and urgency of sustainability requires drastic imposition, so goes uh, uh, the view, requires drastic imposition for the wider good. The counterposition is that effective long-term sustainability will uh, um, only emerge when democratic inclusion and citizenship participation is assured. So, very, two very different views. And, you know, uh, um, it's all a bit abstract to uh, make it a bit concrete. Um, can refer to the work on waste management that's being done at Spru and, and has been done here at IDS by Ashish Chatrovedi. You know, managing waste and recycling the waste is a huge problem for all cities in the world, particularly for the very fast uh, uh, big cities in the developing world. And uh, there are two ways of dealing with this that com are competing head-on. You can, you know, subcontract the whole thing to corporations who, with their big infrastructure and big lorries, you know, uh, undertake to collect the rubbish, to recycle it, and take care of, uh, uh, of, of um, getting uh, the rubbish away from uh, uh, out of the cities and then, and, and then recycling. The alternative is to involve the informal economy in this process. You know? The informal economy is highly organized, waste pickers organizations, and highly organized in terms of collecting the waste, in terms of sorting it, in terms of recycling it, in terms of, you know, then selling it uh, on. And uh, Ashish Chateauvedi, he in fact suggests that doing it through the informal sector, at least in the context of India, is A, uh, uh, achieves better recycling, higher quality, and is of course more social, socially inclusive because it employs, it gives uh, incomes to uh, big numbers of people and has enormous potential throughout the world. You know, I'm thinking of Cairo. Uh, exactly the same issue, a huge battleground also there. So if Ashish is right and indeed it is more economically sufficient and socially advantageous to do this, why is, not, why is this not happening? Well, the reason we need to look here at the public sector, the municipal for the municipalities, it is much easier to give contracts to big corporations. It is easier to handle, easier to manage, and uh, uh, presumably there are also economic incentives for those in charge of this, you know, to award these contracts to uh, to these big corporations. 
Some of them are the same corporations as, as the one we have here in Brighton, maybe Veolia. Yeah? Sometimes it's national corporations. So uh, uh, there are, these are, this is just one example of where uh, this uh, uh, conflict or this question of mutual reinforcement or not plays out. Um, so, um, if you read this section of our paper, uh, you will see that we are struggling, I think. And um, what I think we can say is a lot more about negative dynamics than the positive dynamics. Uh, colleagues who are working on social inclusion, Mick and others, please correct me if I'm wrong. What we can learn from the literature on inequality is that increasing equality means declining capability of dealing with collective action problems. And there is no bigger collective action problem than those, you know, we find in sustainability. Um, the positive dynamics um, are more difficult, you know. Think back to uh, my earlier optimism and excitement about the transformative alliances, you know, where different actors to come together with green and non-green objectives and getting things going. Yeah. We have evidence that this is happening, that this is real. But uh, it does not necessarily give us greater equality. In fact, it might, you know, it might provide us with less. So, um, uh, this is um, something we need to raise. Similarly, if you start on the social side, say with socially embedded market economy, a la uh, Polanyi, that provides us uh, with greater social justice, might, might not give us the environmental progress uh, that we need. So, um, the paper highlights the need for uh, building coalitions that actually uh, are informed and uh, pursue uh, both objectives um, and we stress the need for uh, uh, action research and I'm looking here very much to members of the participation group that, that help us in this and um, uh, it is I think uh, 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 action research will help us to some extent with this but perhaps uh, Ian we need to take a step back and in fact go back to the whole issue of framings. You know, we have in the paper framed it in a particular way in terms of the political dynamics. There are other framings that we need to set out and uh, uh, um, uh, uh, set these, uh, um, compare these and see uh, whether they can mutually help each other. A hugely uh, difficult field, one that is of course central to IDS given that we have both reducing reducing inequality and accelerating sustainability as, as our uh, central theme. And let me come to close. The way forward. Uh, you see here three things, analytically sharp, politically smart, and positive state of mind. This, uh, some of you will think this is a bit you know, simple and cheesy. And it is. But uh, my point is about the combination of these. It's about bringing these three together. And I will start with the latter, uh, uh, which we tend to neglect very badly. And remember um, the starting point. 
present sustainability as a, a, a problem of, of success. The world is tired to hear about problems. Um, and uh, I think if we are serious about engaged excellence, you know, starting with a positive message is in itself gives us, uh, 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 makes, makes it easy, makes the, uh, makes, makes the engaging easy. It's empirically correct to, to present it as a problem of success. It's empirically correct and it gives us, it, it helps us to engage with, with a wider audience. The second point is a little bit along the same line, but also different. Celebrate and learn. What do I mean here? Let us celebrate the enormous progress that has been made in policies, programs, and projects for sustainability. There is a huge amount that has happened, and uh, we can learn from this. One of the biggest lessons is that you know, um, approaches from below, the bottom-up approaches, have yielded quite a lot, and the top-down approaches have yielded very, very little. Uh, it's a very clear finding that arises from this that has implications for the way we uh, operate in future. Third, common question, context-specific answers I mentioned before that relates to our universal framing and rejects uh, um, uh, some of the ways in which um, um, uh, the sustainability cake is, 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 is sometimes uh, divided. Um, the fourth point is multiple pathways make acceleration easier and faster. Again, a very, very important uh, 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 lesson or outcome of this uh, um, paper. Uh, of course, it builds on a good deal of previous research that was done uh, uh, particularly at, at, at the STEP Center. And uh, it is utterly important. Once we talk about acceleration, we need to quickly reject the notion of that there is a motorway into the green future. Because that is what people are looking for. And you know, this is uh, not what we are uh, uh, not what we see, and um, this is not how we see uh, the, way, uh, the way forward. To understand progress along these multiple pathways, we need political economy that is comparative, mm, that allows us to understand uh, uh, commonalities and differences, and we need to understand the sources of variation. And uh, uh, that is the next big step, because we have a ton of, not a ton, we have a substantial amount of case material and, uh, and um, pursuing uh, this in a comparative way is essential. Um, time scales matter. Time scales matter. Um, the stress, this relates of course to the issue of urgency that I mentioned earlier on. Uh, the stress on the urgency comes from earth and climate uh, science and in particularly the International Panel on Climate Change, a fan absolutely fantastic achievement in the world of science, you know, to bring so many different scientists together from so many different parts of the world, having pursued their own studies, and then getting them to agree or, or to thresh out where they agree and disagree, and then come out with a document which specifies the likelihood of changes occurring by certain 
by certain uh, periods. You know, they have inc done incredible work in terms of specifying timescales and indicating probability. I, what uh, we've done in the social sciences, we've accepted the need for urgency, but keep sidestepping the issue of the timescales. Um, and uh, what does it mean? It means reflecting uh, on the process on the processes which unfold. Do they take centuries, decades? Are we talking about electoral cycles, stages of the policy process, or what? It uh, requires acknowledging time lags and recognizing explicitly, explicitly that different dimensions of the transformation process proceed at different, uh, at, at different speeds. And if accelerating remains and it will remain our, our theme, this is uh, important. <coughs> Seven, political tipping points. Um, what do I mean here? I, uh, some of us are inspired by what earth and climate scientists have done, completely different disciplines, showing how there are tipping points in the way uh, the earth and the climate system uh, develops, tipping points in, in the process of worsening. Beyond a certain point, you know, things suddenly get a lot worse. And this brought up the question of whether we can talk about political tipping points. It's not something that uh, uh, is raised in the literature, but as an, you know, a suggestion uh, for, for the future, um, for our future work. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to participate in the retreat, but I hear that there was a lot of discussion about whether we can have impact or not. <coughs> Pessimists and, and optimists, you know, voicing their views. Um, you know, my view is here, you know, small sparks can cause big fires. Uh, this is not me, this is Mao Zedong. Um, I'm not a fan of Mao Zedong in, in all respects. He's caused some of the worst disasters in the world, particularly also in the environmental field. But on this one, you know, he said something very important. Uh, small sparks can, uh, big fires, and, and uh, you know, the message to uh, 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 James and others in our impact work is to, you know, politic to be politically smart and look at these potential political tipping points and then, you know, inject our research in there. And uh, who knows, perhaps this is uh, a, way, a way forward, a focal point uh, 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 for the future, for connecting uh, uh, research and impact. My final points uh, take me back to um, the... It's all, well, it's, it was all about positioning, if you know why. But, but my two final points say that we can, in order to improve our external presence, uh, our external success in securing funds, in uh, um, attracting talents, in influencing the world, uh, this external positioning requires internal changes. Now, if these alliances are so important in the outside world, what about our alliances within this, within this institute? Um, the Green Transformation Cluster has benefited enormously from working with the STEP Center. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, this book is just one of uh, the, um, uh, 
manifestations of this. And I think the STEP Center has also learned a little bit from working with us. So here we have an example of, uh, of this working. You know, but as we see many other opportunities for, for doing this. Since Mick is here, I would put you know, taxation right, at, right at, at the center. How on earth can we accelerate sustainability without thinking about taxation? Here we have the International Center for Taxation and Development. Can we not use this as a platform and build on this you know, projects in a program that take on particularly the sustainability issues? The same for, for inequality. There are many other opportunities that one can arise and we have to think about this not in terms of you all suddenly you know embracing sustainability but thinking as we do in our own analysis co-benefits for you you know it might in fact uh, uh, help your own field in, in some ways if you if you connect with us this is what the internal alliances point uh, really is about and um, finally uh, there is this uh, obscure thing what I call the Sussex supercluster in sustainability. Uh, and this is not in the paper, I apologize, um, uh, uh, Ian, I put, that <laughs> I put that in there. It's my language for this thing. Uh, what you see here on the left is IDS, on the right hand side you see the University of, 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 of Sussex. Uh, within IDS you have various clusters, I just mentioned two, green transformation and resource politics. In the university, you see life sciences, SPRU, global studies, and others could be mentioned. And um, you know, before the coming to sustainability, I did a lot of work on clustering. Clustering in industry and clustering <coughs> in you know, industrial research. And the main lesson is the benefits from clustering are not automatic. Just being you know, near each other does not necessarily generate the benefits. Joint action is necessary. We have an example, you know, the STEP Center. It's joint action between SPRU and IDS. Fantastically successful, globally recognized, bringing in enormous funds and really moving us forward enormously. So, you know, we need to think bigger. And indeed, the Sussex Sustainability <coughs> Research Program that it got, has gotten off the ground uh, very much with the help of, um, of John Thompson on, on, on our part provides us with a new space. It is an attempt to, in fact, um, uh, use this, the, the, the potential for synergies we have on this campus. And it provides an institutional space. But it's just, a, it's an empty space so far. What we need to do is, you know, move into it, use it to transform ourselves internally, and use it to help the university to develop an external profile on sustainability and who knows, you know, together perhaps, you know, help to transform the world. Thank you. Yeah,